Our cell is the leading distributor of radiotherapy patient positioning equipment and physics QA products for the UK and Ireland, supplying both the NHS and the private sector. Why not register and join us at the Macromedics User Meeting on the 8th of November at the Novotel Hotel in London Paddington? This will be an incredibly insightful day to listen to talks on the Macromedics mobilisation range from our various ranges of thermoplastics all the way to our all-in-one solutions and SBRT products. Please do get in touch for more information. And finally, as always, do not hesitate to discuss your product and service requirements with our friendly and knowledgeable account specialists as and when required. We are all from a radiotherapy background and we are more than happy to chat about the clinical benefits and the workflow of all of our products. If you would like to browse our products, please go to our website at www.osl.uk.com or if you would like to speak to us, please call 01743 462 694. Hello everyone and welcome to RadChat, the first therapeutic radiographer-led oncology podcast. Welcome to podcast number 64. My name is Naman Joker Anderson and I'm joined by my fellow host Joe McNamara. Hi everyone. So a big thank you to our last guest, Nick Bennett, who talked about mental fitness um, using the FICA platform. If you haven't had a chance yet, please do go and take a listen. So we're very pleased to introduce our guest for this evening, Sarah Russell, um, and she will be discussing living and exercising with an ileostomy. Um, hi Sarah. Hi, thanks for having me great to have you here so could you tell us a bit about yourself and if you feel comfortable um kind of your surgery story as well yeah absolutely um so i am 50 years old i'm a mum of two sort of grown-up boys now um i've always been into fitness exercise running etc um my career is is a, a clinical exercise physiologist um and i've worked in cardiac rehab and and um that sort of world really and then Back in 2010, I was training for an Ironman. I was running competitively with my local running club and, and you know, thought I was in the peak fitness. I had two little children at the time and out of the blue, I developed this very strange abdominal pain and it kind of went away and then it came back and then over a couple of few weeks and, and now if, if I look back, of course, there were a lot more symptoms, but I remember one night particularly, we just watched the, uh, the football, <laughs> we'd had a curry and I went to bed and I said to my husband, this abdominal pain is really unbearable. So by that point, I was sweating buckets and vomiting and he, he called an ambulance. They took me into hospital and I, of course I'm lying there saying, but I've got an Ironman in eight weeks time. Am I gonna be all right to do that? And they said, no, <laughs> we're gonna do some surgery. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> so it turned out I had a perforated um, colon due to diverticular disease, which I didn't even know that I had. So it was all a real sort of shock. Um, Anyway, they had to do sort of life-saving surgery and, and then a few weeks later they had to do more surgery and that's when I got my ileostomy um, for the first, the first one because I've had five surgeries and three different ileostomies. So yeah, that was the start of it all. Sounds, well, doing training for an Ironman anyway, that's quite a lot. But then on top of that, I suppose the shock of what was coming. How did you kind of manage the instant kind of reaction afterwards? I think I was more upset about the fact that not that I had not that I had an ileostomy and a stoma, but that everything had been taken away from me, and that all this the things that I love doing, and um, you know my running and my training and my work that was my identity, had suddenly all been taken away. And I'd always been fit, always been healthy, never really been in hospital apart from having children. And suddenly you realise that actually you're not invincible at all, and anything can happen to any of us. Uh, 
any time and that was really quite shocking um, the stoma wasn't really an issue I just kind of looked at it and thought okay well I could deal with this I could, I've dealt with nappies you know um, I can deal with this it's not a problem um, and I really did feel like that it's never it's never really been a problem for me what what I struggled the most with is this sort of loss of identity and and, and then because I had so many complications I sort of needed five, well, five surgeries in total. So I had about 18 months, two years, where I was really quite unwell. I became very frail, became very, um, very thin, couldn't eat at all. And, um, and at that point, I really thought I was never going to be able to get back to doing any running or fitness or sport. And actually, I, I couldn't eat. I was more concerned about never being able to eat again. So that was the lowest point. Um, and then in 2012, I had a really successful surgery where they sort of fixed the, the stoma, which had become um, narrowed and, and stenosed. Um, they fixed the stoma and everything then started to improve significantly. I was able to eat again. I could get my strength back. And then I, uh, yeah, got back to doing my marathons. Never went back to the Ironman, though. There's still time, Sarah. There's still time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I do. I, I do. Uh, I do. Really more cra- even more crazy stuff than Iron Man now. So I've kind of parked that and, uh, and gone in another direction. But So Sarah, just to take the audience back, for anyone who doesn't know, what is a stoma? Okay, so um, basically the definition of a stoma is a sort of artificial opening on the body. And that can be for the bowel, it can be for the bladder, it can be um, on the neck. So anything where an organ needs to be brought out to the surface of the body. So it's, it's quite a crazy thing when you actually think about it. Um, but in most cases, it's, it's life-saving. So in my case, I have something called an ileostomy, which is a stoma for the small bowel. And it's where the end of the small bowel has been brought to the surface of the abdomen and then stitched in place. And that's basically my new sort of bum hole, if you like. And I wear a bag over that um, opening on my abdomen. And that's where all my sort of fecal waste drains into it. How often do you have to empty it Mm. and change the bag and checkups and care? So, of course, everyone's completely different. Um, My first stoma was the best behaved. The one I've got at the moment is, I'd probably say, um, the, the least well behaved. But in terms of how often, so the bag is drainable, so it has like a tie at the bottom and you can sort of open it and and empty it. And depending on what I eat, depending on how the, you know, my diet for that particular day, it can be anything between sort of six and 12 times a day where I have to empty it. Um, And it kind of fills up quite quickly. So with an ileostomy, your, your bowel is basically emptying into this bag 24 hours a day. So it's effectively like having diarrhea uh, all the time. And I remember somebody saying to me, you know, can you not just take the bag off for a bit? <laughs> I was like, no, that'd be a, a terrible mess <laughs> otherwise. Um, so, yeah, so and, and then daily, I change the bag daily um, because I have such high output, it tends to break the bag down a little bit too quickly than, than it really should. Um, yeah, other people have much better wear time, but mine's not so great. I think it's, um, it's something people don't consider. Obviously, you can't always see a stoma, especially in that area or on a person. In our department, quite a few in radiotherapy. Sorry, so patients get quite, I don't know, maybe not, maybe I was self-aware. Sorry, so very self-aware of how they look at themselves, and if it's full, they don't want people to see it. Um, I think mm. one question, which mm. just I think some of our listeners might find, just to maybe break the stigma of it, is how, if you're out in public, how do you empty it? Because you wouldn't necessarily go to a sink to do it, or you might do. Yeah. 
so that, that that is you know a huge anxiety for a lot of people and there's there's a lot of you know the, the first issue really certainly with an ileostomy versus a colostomy so just to clarify colostomy is off the colon and ileostomy is off the small bowel the odor from an ileostomy does tend to be let's say different to a normal bowel uh, movement um, and so it, it just has a stronger odor it has a very different odor and for me personally that's my biggest issue is if I use a public toilet and then someone goes in afterwards and they're gagging and I just think oh god I'm really sorry um so that for me is, is quite a big issue I sort of squirt a bit of perfume around or something and, and hope for the best but in terms of, of you know having to empty the bag in public that that really is your option you just you just go to the toilet as normal and you would empty into the toilet as you normally you know as you normally go to the loo um with an ileostomy, because you have to empty so often, it, it can become quite distressing when the bag fills and then you don't have an availability. And, and a, you know, So you have to get the bag emptied quite quickly because it can keep filling and be A, uncomfortable and be quite visible. Um, there are ways around it though, so I, I tend to use quite a lot, and this isn't necessarily a medical recommendation for anybody out there, but I tend to use quite a lot of Imodium um, just to try and slow the output, thicken things up. I watch what I eat if I'm going out, so I tend to eat things that I know will give me a sort of more thick output rather than a, um, a sort of diarrhea output. Output is basically the word we use for poo that comes out of the stoma. Um, so yeah, it just makes us feel a little bit better about calling it output than poo. <laughs> we can talk about poo on this podcast. We're, defi <laughs> we're definitely all about the poo. So Sarah, in terms of kind of the impact it's had on you, I would imagine even socialising, especially maybe in the early stages when it was new and you weren't necessarily used to it, did you find it had an impact on your social activity? What, what about your relationships? Like I could imagine that having your body change potentially could have impacted on your relationships. Is that something that you found? So I'll just deal with those two questions separately. So the first question was about um, sort of social, social impact. And I think for me, I got used to it very quickly. Um, and I got used to, you know, finding a toilet, emptying the bag. And, and if I felt I had a leak, I would just go and deal with it. And, and it's, it, it wasn't really so much of a problem. I was just so grateful to be able to eat again and be able to go out and, and live a normal life because I've been so unwell and so miserable for such a long time that, you know, for me, it was, I was just really happy to be able to go to a restaurant and eat a meal. Uh, I hadn't eaten Christmas dinner for three years. I think I just made smoothies and made, made a meal for my family and then sat in another room and had a medical Ensure shake. Um, so that was pretty miserable. So from my perspective, being able to go out again was brilliant. So that wasn't really too much of an issue. Um, I do remember going out with some girlfriends one night and standing in the loo and they were like, oh, you go. And I was like, no, 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 you all go first and I'll go at the end. You really don't want to go in front of me. But I've gotten a lot better at that now and um, I feel less embarrassed about it. Um, in terms of relationships, I've been married for 25, 26 years now. So at the time, um, you know, so we're going back 12 years, um, I was in a, you know, a, a very happy marriage. I've got an incredibly supportive husband. I'm very lucky. As far as he's concerned, he's like, well, it makes absolutely no difference. It's not changed his perspective on me, my body and our intimate relationships at all. Um, 
you know, I often, I sometimes joke that he's sort of, uh, nothing would put him off, really. I can't even get a stoma and discourage him. Um, <laughs> I mean, how far do you need to go? <laughs> but um, <laughs> he's, um, he's fantastic. You know, he really, it really doesn't bother him at all. Um, I've got like a kind of nice lacy thing that I wear around my, ba- around my belly and it's, it's cool. From intimacy, it's fine. Um, things like swimming and stuff, you know, I, I, I would go, I've been swimming with a triathlon club and none of them know I've got a stoma. I can get in a swimming pool wearing a normal swimsuit um, and do a training session like a normal athlete and nobody in that club knows I've got a stoma. I'm not hiding it, I'm just at the point now where I'm kind of over it and I just want to be normal and train as a normal person. I don't have to tell anybody about it. Um, not everyone feels like that, certainly at the beginning, um, and people might want to share it. And I think what I've learned, the work I do, because I work with so many different people with stomas, everyone's on a very, very different journey. So my journey is mine, and everyone else has very, very different experiences and feels very different about their stoma. And nobody should feel bad about the way that they're dealing with their journey. So obviously in terms of your career and your area of expertise, what is it that you do um, and how do you support patients? So back in 2010, when I was lying in my hospital bed and I just had this abdominal surgery and this stoma and this nurse came in and said, right, you better be careful, you might get a hernia. And I was like, what? Okay. So I started doing a bit more research and then I'm like, okay, so I really do need to do some kind of rehab and some exercise to sort my abdominal muscles out. What do I need to do? At that point, I'd had... 20 years experience in the fitness industry. I had a master's degree in sport and exercise science. Yeah, I lay in that bed and I thought, I don't really know what I should be doing here. And I thought, if I feel like that, how, does, how do patients who don't have that, that background feel? Um, and I asked the physio, I asked the surgeon, I asked the nurses, and no one could really give me a definitive answer on what I should be doing, what was safe, what wasn't, should I do abdominal exercises, should I not? How could I avoid, avoid this scary hernia? etc. So after a few years I thought I really need to try and do something about this so I started doing a lot more research. Reached out to a company called Convertech who I do now a lot of consultancy work with. Retrained in clinical Pilates and basically started to develop rehabilitation programs for patients who've had stoma surgery and that is something I'm now incredibly passionate about because the message of rest, don't do anything, be careful, you might get a hernia, is so completely wrong and we really need to change that. I think I've also remembered what you now do, that's even better than an Ironman, so I wrote it down, you've done the Himalayan 100 and the Trans Rockies 120, is that right? That's the next level of stuff you've done? Yeah, so so after my surgery, the 2012 surgery, when I started to feel better again, um, I was working for a running magazine, writing articles and coaching articles and things. And they said to me, would you like to go to India to cover this race? Um, It's 100 miles across the Himalayas. And I'm like, I can't do that. I've got a stoma. I'm practically disabled. And and then I thought about it. I thought, no, of course I can. It's ridiculous. So 18 months after that last surgery, I went to India on my own (laughs) to go and do this run. so it's basically stages, um, up to, it was 100 miles over five stages. Um, but the hardest part was actually sort of the, you know, um, sleeping in the kind of huts at altitude and being at altitude. 
I had no idea how my stoma would respond. I had no idea, no idea how I would feel with, um, with the altitude or, and I was quite worried about the diet and getting ill, but none of those things materialized. I was great, loved it, it was amazing. So yeah, so that was, that was a start. And I've just done my 54th marathon. Um, I say marathon, they're all marathon or ultra distance. Um, and then, yeah, so yeah, <laughs> as I said, crazy stuff rather than just Ironman now. But it's amazing. It's showing, obviously, despite the five surgeries you've had, you can still do stuff. Whether obviously marathons, ultra marathons, might not be for everyone, but mm. for some people, post surgery or treatment, even just going to the toilet is a marathon. But it shows yeah. also you build it up slowly. Um, mm. I suppose we're probably quite interested in the research behind it. So you said the healthcare professional didn't necessarily direct you towards anything. Mm. Since then, have you found more research, or clinical research behind it? No, <laughs> there's, there's little bits of, it's, it's, it's very, very under-researched area, certainly in terms of rehabilitation and exercise. There's pockets of papers being done. The Danish, uh, there's a Danish team doing some really good work. And then there's a team up in Scotland, which I'm involved with as well, led by Professor Jill Hubbard. Um, and there's a couple of teams that are doing some good work around this particular area of exercise rehabilitation. Um, so I'm actually involved with, with sort of developing some guidelines. So we're about to start writing some national guidelines on, and exactly that, on answering the typical questions that all the patients ask. What can I do? What's safe? Is there anything I shouldn't do? When can I go back to doing X, Y, Z? And what do I need to do in order to prevent this scary hernia? And so the guidelines will try and answer those questions. So we're about to start on that journey with that. So that's quite exciting, actually, because there aren't any guidelines anywhere else in the world. That's really exciting. And I definitely know even seeing patients who come through radiotherapy, obviously, it's still very early on in their journey. Um, but they, they ask us as therapeutic radiographers for advice and support in that area. And it is something that we would typically go, well, you need to speak to your oncologist about that knowing full well that actually the oncologist maybe doesn't have the advice or support that patients need either. So for any healthcare professionals out there who are thinking of trying to support their patients who have a stoma, who want to, um, to be honest, I don't even need to say want to get back to exercise. It, you know, it is part of rehabilitation. What should we be advising? I think even from your perspective, if you're, if you're having patients who are having radiotherapy and they've got a stoma and then they're potentially going back to maybe having a reversal, those patients, particularly that patient group, really need to be thinking about their pelvic floor and their core. So we need to be, you know, I, I hammer this home all the time, but I think every healthcare professional, no matter who you are, has a responsibility to talk to patients about exercise, rehabilitation and health. And so... I remember having a radiologist say to me, you know, one of the most important things is you strengthen these abdominal muscles. And I was like, wait a minute, no one else has said that. And it's really stuck with me. So it just shows what an opportunity, it doesn't matter where, you, where you're working. It wasn't the physio that told me that, it was just a passing comment. And that was so powerful and so important. Um, so I think, you know, every healthcare professional has this responsibility to talk to patients about exercise but in those early days a lot of patients are going to be sort of saying what what are you even talking about I can't exercise we know from the cancer rehab research that physical activity during treatment is incredibly important but I'd say for those um, 
your radiotherapy patients, pelvic radiotherapy patients, we need to be really focusing on pelvic floor health and encouraging them to either seek advice or signpost them to somewhere where they can start to look at pelvic floor exercises and core work, um, particularly for stoma patients. So yeah. Um, so yeah, so I wrote my book, um, The Bowel Cancer Recovery Toolkit. Um, and you know, that will be a place to signpost, to certainly signpost bowel cancer patients too. Um, and then stoma patients, I run some online fitness classes, exercise classes and rehab. So people can come to those from two weeks post-surgery. And if they just look, Google me and find me, um, they'll see the classes there online. They can just come on Zoom. What's your experience been working with um, sort of bowel cancer patients, for example? Um, I think what sort of drove me to write the book and um, one of the things that really concerned me right from the beginning was somebody who really understands the power and the benefit of physical activity for health. And I'm not talking about, you know, what we look like going to the gym. I'm talking about the importance for health. So building muscle, reduction of other comorbidities. Um, and when we did some research, so we did this research with Convitec back in 2016. Convitec are a medical devices organization, wound care company. Um, we did this research and what we found was people who have a stoma um, will become slightly less active than they were before their stoma. We know that from the research for a whole range of different reasons. Some of the IBD patients, so the sort of Crohn's and colitis crowd, the younger patients who've maybe been really unwell for a while, they get the stoma and then actually their quality of life has improved. So they suddenly think, well, I can do exercise, I can eat, I feel a lot better than I did. The bowel cancer patients, and probably this, this extends to all abdominal cancer patients, actually. And so a lot of other patients will get stomas, not because of bowel cancer, because of other gynae issues as well. But the bowel cancer patients in particular became significantly less active. Now, this wasn't just during treatment. This was beyond treatment. So we're looking at a year, two years down the line. And then we, when we started digging into that, there's so much fear and so much misunderstanding about what's safe, what they can do, um, and, and just very little advice about what they can do. So that really prompted me to write the book. Um, and there's been some you know, really positive feedback from healthcare professionals about the book who feel very comfortable signposting their patients to it. So that was really what drove that. Um, has it changed? I'd like to think so. I'd like to think that we're now starting to see a little bit more, you know, some really good advocacy out there, people like Adele Roberts and, and people like that who are really showing what you can do um, during bowel cancer and with a stoma. And, and you know, there's um, a lady who swam the channel, I think she was called, I can't remember her name, Jodie, somebody, um, swam the channel while she was having chemotherapy um, or, you know, mid-chemotherapy cycle. So I think it really is about saying, Exercise during treatment is this non-negotiable part of your treatment. And that sounds really harsh when someone's feeling really unwell. But we're not talking about going out for a run. We're talking about doing some chair squats or some stretching or a little bit of Pilates or just going out for a 10-minute walk. You've got to keep moving because that muscle loss will be so significant post-surgery, post-treatment it will make it so difficult to recover fully. So we need to keep, keep these patients as active as possible. I'm so pleased you said that, Sarah. And I think things are slowly changing, but I don't necessarily think fast enough. Um, we do a lot within education. So 
you know, within lecturing healthcare professionals, future workforce, I think there's much more now available to help educate. But it's definitely around having the research, having the confidence, because obviously, if you're training um, the future workforce about prehabilitation, rehabilitation, the importance of exercise, and then they go out into a clinical setting and don't see anyone role modeling that behavior of talking to patients about exercise, talking to patients about the need to be active, then it's almost like, oh, do I I broach that with patients even though no one else who's who's qualified is doing that? Um, So would you give any advice to any students who are out there who are, you know, thinking, oh, actually, I, you know, these are things I could broach with patients? Oh, that's such a great question. And, you know, I, I do some training with some with some stoma nurses. So we, we've developed a RCN accredited training course for stoma nurses, um, which is delivered through through Convitec. And we see that with these stoma nurses, you know, whether you're a student, whether you're a nurse that's been in practice for many years or a physio, whoever you are, there's still a nervousness around changing your practice and thinking differently and changing that dogma, you know, which is be careful, rest, mm, take it easy, put your feet up, you know, and it, you sound like you're coming in with this crazy suggestion that they go for a walk or it might be okay if they do a run and it would be completely fine for them to swim the channel if they really wanted to. Um, but yeah, it's really difficult, I think, when you're in that setting when no one else around you is saying that. So I think just really stick to your guns, be really confident about the research and the evidence and bring that to meetings, take that to MDTs, share that with your colleagues. Um, You know, the evidence out there with cancer is really strong, Um, certainly from a prehab perspective, from a rehab perspective, and we just need to get that out there with patients. Just keep banging the drum and keep banging on about it. Exactly. And I know Joe and I both jump in (laughs) exercise all the time as much as we can. I think this uh, this podcast has three very competitive people anyway. So <laughs> um, I'm quite. I know you shared about the disappointments with the surgeries and the setbacks. I suppose specifically for the Ironman training, but the loss of identity. Um, I'm quite interested to understand kind of the psychological impact of the change. So it's a huge change to your body and how you manage your day. And you've mentioned kind of how you would manage your day day to day. But I suppose for people who might have just had their first stoma surgery what sort of things might I don't know just sharing from your experience that they might be going through just so people can understand it a bit better wow well I'm often told that I'm not a normal patient so I'm not entirely sure that my uh, my experience will be the same as anybody else's but I remember very distinctly looking down at this stone on my belly looking in the bag the very first time and I thought right if I never eat again I won't ever have to deal with anything that comes out of it and then my second thought was, well, that's completely ridiculous because you want, to, you want to go running and you do need to eat. You're just going to have to get on with it. And it was that for me was a kind of real mental switch because my desire to be active, to, to spend time with my kids, to have, you know, active holidays, to go mountain biking, canoeing, all the things I do with my kids that far outweighed any of the challenges that I had to deal with my stomach. It's like, right, all those things are far more important to me. I'm just going to have to get on with it. And it's, it's not always pleasant and there are challenges and you do get leakage and the odour can be really unpleasant and there are challenges. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not going to hide that. But 
putting it in perspective, you know, I, I talk to people that have had their stomas maybe for 50 years and the products that they had in 50 years ago were so awful that our life now with a stoma is so much better. Um, in the UK, we're incredibly lucky. I speak to patients in other countries, um, you know, South America, and, and they're limited with the products they've got. They're limited with the amount they can have. Um, you know, they, they may be using products which are much older. They're not as, as modern as ours. And we really do in the UK have, we're very lucky with the products and the choice that we have and the availability of the products that we have. And I wouldn't want to have a stoma 50 years ago and look at the bags that they had then. So I think having perspective is really important as well. Um, you know, and I think just never really kind of giving up. So if you're having problems with your skin or you're having problems with your bag, don't just assume that that's how it has to be. It's an, Actually, there's so many, there's so much help out there and there are so many things you can try. You need to adopt a sort of real growth mindset of, okay, what's this problem? How do I deal with it? How do I fix it? Who can help me? Rather than, oh, it's a problem. I can't now do X, Y, Z. And I think just switching your mindset, and that sounds really harsh, but it really is the only way to deal with it. And, you know, because you, it, it's not that limiting, really, um, I did a, a, a race earlier this year. I didn't complete it. I'm going back to try and complete it next year, but it was a, a race called Cape Wrath Ultra. So it's 400 kilometers across, um, across Scotland, basically. It's completely mad. Um, and they've never had anyone with a stoma do it before. So I sort of said, look, is it okay if I come and do this? And they said, yes, it's fine. Thinking, oh my God, what's this woman doing? So it's basically an average of 31 miles a day. And you know there's no water you have to get water from streams and there's camping and you're sharing a tent with people you don't know and you can and there's, and there's a vegan diet so if you imagine picking all the challenges that somebody with a stoma might have to face it's like that doubled so I don't know why I put myself into it really but anyway I did and the stoma wasn't the problem basically what happened was I fell over and really damaged my leg and had to drop out after three days but the stoma wasn't wasn't the thing that stopped me from doing it. it was his leg injury so uh yeah so i think from a there's nothing you can't do um you know with a well-behaved stoma and you just have to find ways around it that's it it's as simple as that and that sounds quite a strong hard message but it's true no that that's brilliant and i think for lots of people listening hopefully it does help i suppose just to follow up quickly um you talked about your children. How have you found explaining it to them or have they found or noticed any difference because you're so kind of, as you said, growth mindset, get on with it? So they were, I'm just trying to think how old they were. So they're 23 and 20 now um, and they're lovely boys. And so I swear at the time, what were they, 10 and, 10 and 11 or 9 and 11, something like that. And they actually found it quite fascinating. Certainly my eldest um, boy who's, who's ADHD, so he just found it really interesting and he just wanted to see it and look at it and see what it was doing and there was poo coming out of it and this was brilliant as far as he was concerned. So, you know, there's never, I've never hidden it from them and I've never been ashamed of it and, um, you know, they're, they're now really, really proud of what I do and, and they tell their friends, they say, oh, my mum runs marathons and she's got a stoma and it's really sweet, it's lovely. So yeah, they're totally cool with it and, 
you know that, but that's my way of dealing with it and, and I I know everyone's got a completely different way of dealing with stuff but that's just how we do it and uh, and what's really funny now is my my son my eldest son his his girlfriend he said to me today you'll never guess what mum he said my girlfriend's dad we've just found out he's got a stoma like you <laughs> so it's like he's, he just thinks it's great so he yeah <laughs> stoma buddies <laughs> yeah I mean I didn't know anyone that had a stoma when I had mine and I think now I know probably everybody in the country that's got one so. you and him need to get matching tattoos now yeah that's it never mind Iron Man tattoos we'll just get <laughs> poo emojis on our legs or something <laughs> amazing So Sarah, we're we're getting to the end now, and honestly, Numan and I have loved chatting to you, and it is so nice to be able to break down some of the barriers, um, because I do think that actually, even though you said you didn't know anyone with a stoma, I bet there were people there that, but people don't necessarily disclose it, and I'm not suggesting that people will go, "Hi, my name's Joe, and I've got a stoma. Nice to meet you." Um, but I definitely think, and I think um, uh, you mentioned Adele Roberts, um, I think her being so public, especially on some of the social media platforms, on the radio about her bowel cancer, but most importantly, I think about her stoma and just the challenges of it. I know when she was reporting on the Queen's death, you know, she was doing an Insta Live, basically going, right, okay, I've come a day early before doing my live recording because I need to see where the toilets are um, and that for her was her kind of mentality to be able to go I'm going to be confident whilst live on TV because I know that there are now public toilets available um, so I think breaking down some of the stigma and having the conversations will ultimately help people because exactly like you've said if the healthcare professionals can't help at least patients are feeling empowered to seek out professionals like yourself or at least you know being able to go online and sift through what is appropriate what isn't appropriate um and having having that available we always end our podcast episodes with top tips are there any top tips that you would really want to give to patients healthcare professionals students anyone anything because you've given lots as we've gone through the podcast but is there anything lasting that you would just love to see people leave this episode knowing i think for me because this is where i'm really deep into at the moment is this sort of thorny topic of parastomal hernias and one of the things so the stomas and then there's hernias the majority of people that I talk to say stoma, they can live with a stoma, but when they develop a hernia, then it becomes a real problem. So there's so much fear and there's so much um, sort of myths around hernias. People are often told not to lift, they're told not to exercise, they're told not to do abdominal exercises, when actually the absolute opposite is what we need to be doing. So patients need to get as fit and strong as they possibly can and they need to work their abdomen and they need to get their abdomen as strong as possible so they can reduce their risk of hernia, not the opposite way around. And for me, I think that message needs to be really hammered home to people because they think they just do a few pelvic tilts in their hospital bed and then they've reduced their risk of hernia. It's not enough. We've got to get people fit and strong and see it as prevention for the future thank you so much 
really 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 good top tips um and also amazing to see that obviously you kind of just run the channel if you've done your 100 mile events and things like that nearly so <laughs> but yeah it's great to see no, no limits on it i think people forget that you can carry on despite a life-changing event or kind of illness basically but yeah thank you so much for coming on um, and thank you for everyone for listening to rad chat so your host today have been Naman Jill Cranston and joe mcnamara um a huge thank you again to sarah russell if you're utilizing this podcast for cpd purposes please consider the reflective questions posted along with the links to resources and literature we've discussed to receive a credited cpd certificate please complete the google form link to the podcast so our next guest to feature will be Catherine neck and she will be discussing prehabilitation and rehabilitation within oncology thank you very much for listening and take care